Beckys, this next episode has me talking with a showbiz veteran hailed as a pioneer of the one-woman show. Our conversation got me thinking about my history as a stand-up and how I have evolved. I feel like I've come to a place of just wanting to always do what makes me feel good on stage. And I think that that makes the audience enjoy the show more. When I started, I did one-liner jokes, and then I would tell short stories. Then I started telling longer stories. I even kind of dabbled in prop comedy in the way that I dragged a stool across the stage on Conan. I've incorporated music, so many different things, even sharing personal details about like when I had cancer and my mother passed away. And it's funny because all the different places that I've reached in my career and in my style, there's always a conversation around it of like, oh, is this, do you think you've found your voice finally? And I think I have my voice. It's just that it's more secured in the way that I feel comfortable using it in all these different ways of telling stories and jokes. Anyway, if you want to hear me tell stories and jokes, I may be stopping by a town near you. In fact, I'll be headed to Bellingham, Washington, September 8th, Olympia, Washington, September 9th, Torrington, Connecticut, September 15th, Rochester, New York, September 16th, Wilmington, Delaware, September 17th, Colorado Springs, September 25th, Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th, Boulder, Colorado, September 29th, and November 4th in Brooklyn at King's Theater for my next stand-up special taping. There's an early and late show. And then I'm off on my European tour in October. Check my website for all European and U.S. dates at tignotaro.com. See you on the road. And lastly, just a note that this episode was recorded before the Screen Actors Guild strike went into effect. Now, let's start the show. Can't believe I'm being yelled at on my own. Yelled at? Global sensation of a podcast. It's so funny because... My girlfriend and my daughter always claim I'm yelling at them. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm like, you don't know the name of yelling, right? If you think this is yelling, I'll show you yelling because yeah. I can yell and I can scream. Yeah. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And while I may not be advice royalty, today's guest is an actual queen of comedy. (laughs) Today's guest is an award-winning performer, actor, singer, and author who you've seen in American Horror Story, Pose, and The King of Comedy. She hosts Sandy Land on Sirius XM. She's on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest stand-ups of all time, and is considered one of the pioneers of the one-woman show. Her most recent is titled Spring Affair. 
Sandra Bernhardt, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Thank you, Tig. Yeah. Hi, darling. How are you? I'm doing well. You laughed at 100 greatest stand-ups of all time. That's a fact. Don't fight oh, it. I would never fight it. Good. It's just so funny, you know. <laughs> all that stuff just kind of tickles me in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Sure, sure. It tickles me too, but I don't fight it either. No. By the way, I have to tell you that um, your bit on um, the uh, standout Netflix special that we were both on last year Mm -hmm. was particularly brilliant and funny. And my girlfriend, wife, partner, whatever we are, loved it. And it's very clever and funny. The firemen and the whole thing. (laughs) Well, if only it were made up. Oh, no, nothing like that's ever made up. Of course. And your set that night was so, so incredible and so fun to watch. It was just like, oh, my God. I hadn't seen you perform in so long. And then it was... You know, that feeling of you haven't seen somebody perform no matter how long they've been doing it, how old they are. You're like, are they, is, how's this going to be? And then it was just <laughs> explosively fun to watch. Thank you. It was a great night. Yeah, it was so fun. It always amazes me how great L.A. audiences are. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're they're so appreciative and they really love performers. And anytime I've gone to any kind of live show, music or comedy or anything, People are really in it. They're committed and they come to support the artists. I don't know. I I love L.A. audiences. I I like creating in L.A., by the way, more than anywhere else because... Really? Yeah. I I feel like I've written some of my best material in L.A. when I've lived there or I've been hanging out and driving. And and in the old days, I'd pull over and just jot things down or or I'd race home Mm -hmm. when I used to live in the Valley and I'd race home and I'd just like run in and start writing things down. (laughs) And L.A. is, I guess it's a little bit of the isolation and the desolation at Mm -hmm. night, you know, because it's so quiet. And it goes from being like jam-packed, bumper to bumper all day long. The minute like 7.30, 8 o'clock hits, it's like the roads are wide open. You could like go down Sunset from West Hollywood to the beach in like 20 minutes. Right. Which is how it was when I first moved to L.A. in the 70s. What year of the 70s? Cinco de Mayo, 1974. Cinco and the party Mayo. hasn't stopped since. <laughs> I um, spent my first summer going to um, beauty school. I became a manicurist. Wow. So I have a day job and I and I was never going to be a waitress. That's just not my gig. Do you keep up your nails? I go and get my nails done now because it's very hard. It's very hard to cut your own nails without going like sometimes you cut it and sometimes you go too deep into the cuticle mm-hmm. and you can really like it can really be a mess. Get infected but, or something. No, no, but just like, it's just too short or I ha- I always keep my nails very short. Swells up real big. <laughs> no, no, honey. I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> pristine manicurist and human being. Everything, there's alcohol, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. sterilization methods that are always... That would be nice. So people just dip their fingers in alcohol. Like, wait, are you talking like rubbing alcohol or like vodka? <laughs> that would be a fun place to go. Yeah, to. I mean, well, it'd be fun. That's it would be fun if you dip each finger in an olive <laughs> and then put it into vodka and a little splash of, um, what do they put in a, a martini? Um, I don't know. Oh, vermouth. Vermouth. And then just eat the olives. <laughs> I used to do that when I was little. I'd put olives on every <laughs> finger and just eat them off just because it was fun. My mother uh, was in a in a really bad car accident and they had used these long screws to straighten her toes out. Oh, my God. And when she got out of the hospital, she used those long screws to put through olives and martinis when she'd have parties. (laughs) And people would be like, 
Oh, Susie, this is such a great idea to put a screw through an olive. What made you think of that? And she was like, oh, those were in my toes. <laughs> and then she would use her trays that you throw up in or like... It's kind of kidney Yeah, shaped. yeah. And then the bedpan, she'd use those to put snacks out at parties. <laughs> <laughs> just to horrify people. Did she come through the accident? Was she okay? Did she recover? Yeah, she recovered. That was uh, when she was in college, but she was in a coma. She broke like every bone in her body. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. But she, then she ended up actually tripping and hitting her head and dying in 2012. Oh, come on. That is so f***ed up. Yeah. But she went through the windshield of a car. <gasps> but anyway, that was in the 60s. This is the best advice I have for everybody. Wear your f- seatbelts. Oh, there you go. You heard it first. Let's start there. Right here. I don't care if you're going two blocks or 200 miles. I don't care if you're eating olives off your fingertips full of vermouth. Well, exactly. Just put the seatbelt on. Now, you've said that your worldview was influenced by your parents, by their work. Correct. My mother was an abstract artist. My father was a proctologist. Quite the combo. That's how I view the world. How did that shape you? Well, I don't know if it actually did. It was just a funny line in my show, but... (laughs) My mom was a great artist Uh and was like always studying and always, you know, had great teachers, art teachers and people that were in and out of our lives. So it was very unusual to to have something like that back in the 60s. And my father was a doctor. He went back and specialized in proctology, which was, I I don't know, it was very odd. My dad is still alive. He's 100 years old. No. Yeah. But he's totally estranged from, from me and my three brothers. Oh. He kind of went MAGA on us. Oh, he did? Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, not completely surprising because he was always a little bit of a, you know, a hard charging bully in his own way. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's like when you think, oh my God, my dad's a hundred years old. He's still clicking and kicking. My mother died before there was MAGA. Mm-hmm. Obviously MAGA's kind of already always been there, but My mother was an artist as well. My stepfather was an attorney. What medium did your mother work in? She was a painter. Mm -hmm. She also did charcoal. Mixed medium. Yeah, she was definitely full-blown artist. Very funny, wild person. Sounds like our our mothers would probably have gotten along. Probably. But yeah, I would say I, I feel thankful for the balance that I had. Right. Because my mother was always cheering me on for being exactly who I was, a million percent. And then my stepfather really gave us structure. And I I can feel both of those things so insanely in my life. I understand that. I mean, my mother was very structured in her way, though. She was a fabulous cook. Mm-hmm. She was a wonderful pianist. Mm-hmm. And my father, in his own way, was kind of creative, too. You know, when, when he attempted to do creative things, he was really good at it. We had sort of like a classic liberal Jewish upbringing in Michigan. And then we uh, decamped to Arizona when I was 10, uh, which was also fascinating. You know, I love the old old West and it still has wide open spaces. I'm sure being in Texas, you Mm -hmm. can relate to that. So I enjoyed my childhood. Yeah. I'm not saying it was, I I got up scot-free. Everybody has their, you know, their memories and moments, but I can't. I really don't have any major complaints. That's unbelievable. I have three older brothers, and they, they're all creative and really, really smart and great guys. And I just feel like I was the baby. I got all the attention I wanted. And I got to have fun. And we traveled. We did things. I don't know. I don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> That's really incredible. Yeah. I have plenty to complain about, but I also... 
what I'm blown away by is how so many of my friends that I have in Mississippi and Texas are some of the most open-minded, loving people. And I can't believe we still connect. That's amazing. All of these years later. I feel thankful. I have no complaints as well. That's so great. (laughs) These friends of mine, when I lived in Austin, when I was a young adult, my two closest friends, who I actually moved out to Los Angeles with, they worked at this place called Clean and Lean. And it was Uh a gym and a, a laundromat. And next to it was a movie rental place. Uh And my friend Leslie has always been obsessed with you and would get videos of you and and rent them and play them at Clean and Lane. And to me, this place in Austin is you. Oh, I love that. Even when I still pass it, I'm like, that's where I would watch your videos. It's so perfect for me. First of all, I love doing laundry. I do. I do too. I do like the average of five to eight loads of laundry a week, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm the exclusive laundress in our in our household. I find it so relaxing. I love folding. I clothes. do too. I love putting them away. I'm, I do too. And also, I go to the gym all the time. So the clean and lean thing is like right up. It's just so right for me. I can't even remember if that place is open still, but whenever I'm in Austin, I pass it. You are who I think about watching those videos with my friends, Beth and Leslie. (laughs) To go back to your comedy career, how do you feel like your comedy has evolved since the 70s when you started? Well, I think my comedy in a certain way has remained the same. I've always had sort of a offbeat, sophisticated, influenced by entertainers and, and old school, you know, performers, and yet sort of postmodern. It's just like mm-hmm. a big, big, big bucket of drinks that I combine. And and I, I'd always, to me, it always tastes delicious and unique with just like, you know, an, an overtone of patchouli. I, I mean, it's like everything. <laughs> it's like a kamikaze, you know, those drinks? It is, yes. And the only thing that's really changed is my confidence, my ability. Paul Mooney, who was my mentor, would always say, Bernhard, you got to get up on stage and shed your skin, you know, peel the layers of the onion. So like every night, even to this day, even Paul's been gone now for a few years and uh, I miss him terribly. I, his, his voice is always in the back of my mind saying, peel the onion, be as authentic as you can possibly be mm-hmm. to yourself where you're at now. And there isn't a night that I don't go on stage where I don't, attempt to go deeper and deeper and deeper Mm -hmm. into who I am and also channel all the things that I've experienced and learned on stage over the years. It just never gets old. It never gets boring. It's never disappointing. I've never been jaded or um, tossed off the, the, the experience of being in front of a live audience. I just think it's the most amazing thing in the world to be able to get up and hold people's attention and imbue them with something I feel is valuable and beautiful and heartfelt and also completely honest and mm-hmm. maybe things that they hadn't thought about before. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I surprise myself and start, t- start talking about things that are a little bit off center, even for me. So that, I mean, that's the long winded <laughs> answer to say, that's what has changed. That's what's evolved. But I can still feel and sense 
who I was at 19. Mm-hmm. She's still there and I still love her and she still informs who I am five decades later. Yeah. I mean, it's inevitable that people change. And I know for myself, I relate in that through different points in my career, I've done just like one-liners or long stories, or I've done physical things. And I always tell people that I realized that when I allowed myself to grow and do really what I want to do every time I walk on stage, no matter what, my voice is going to come through, even if I'm juggling you know what I mean? Like, no matter what I do on stage, my voice is going to be there through whatever it is that I've chosen to do. And I feel like people get very scared and try and limit themselves because they're like, this is my persona. This is what people know me as. I need to stay as this. But I love the idea of what Paul had said of peeling the onion and incorporating that as well, because I think that you can also be very much yourself and earnest, even when it's there's nonsense or you're telling some deep, dark truth about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Sandra, do you enjoy giving advice? Well, apparently. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Yes, I do. Well, our first question is from a listener who, like you, is an artist. Annie writes, hi, Tig and guest extraordinaire. I'm in my last year of art school studying performance art, and I'm having a serious crisis of confidence. I look at the world and see so many great artists making wonderful and significant work. I love making art and performing, but I don't have anything to say that hasn't been said before Mm -hmm. and much better than I ever could. Mm -hmm. Should I move on and find something else to do with my life? What's the point of pursuing art if you don't believe your work has value or a place in the world? Any advice? I agree with this person wholeheartedly. This has always been my complaint about people over the years. It's like, if you're going to get up on stage, you better have a real strong point of view and you better be able to back it up and follow through on it over a long period of time. Otherwise, just don't do it. I agree. However, I would love it if Annie would do a show about how she doesn't believe she belongs on stage. And to examine why she thinks that's true. And I feel like by the end of the show, she would probably prove herself wrong, Mm. that she does belong there. Okay. And she could back that up. Okay. Why she doesn't belong there. And man, would I love to see that show. Okay. Well, maybe you can produce it. No. (laughs) I'm not going to go that far with Annie. (laughs) No, but I'm going to say, hey. Listen, Annie, and you know what? I was even thinking, God, I would love if I felt that way and I had that angle. Mm -hmm. If I was feeling like I don't have anything else to say. Mm -hmm. I really feel Mm -hmm. like there is a show there. Okay, Tig. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that show. Well, then you're stealing her fit. No, I I came up with it. She's saying she doesn't feel like she's... But you don't feel that way. Sometimes. Don't you ever feel like, oh... I mean, as soon as I finish working on material, I always think, am I dragging this around for too long? Or do I really have anything? Like, I have funny things to say, hanging out with friends and family and my kids. And then I think, do we We're really? In the position of taking breaks. Every mm-hmm. performer needs to take a break. Mm-hmm. You can't constantly, no matter how creative you are, mm-hmm. write an entire, I write new shows 
all the time. How often? Like once a year. I do Joe's Pub here in New York at the holidays. Mm -hmm. And suddenly by the spring, I'm like, I'll do a gig here in New York. And I feel like I have to write all. And, and, you know, I sing also, so I have to pick new songs. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes I just feel like I'm so tired and burned out. But then I surprise myself. Isn't that the best feeling when you surprise yourself? I think Annie, if she's gonna, if she's gonna go for it. She has to go for it, but she can't be questioning it every five minutes. It's just too boring. Would you not be interested if somebody was like, "This is a show about how I don't have anything to say"? That wouldn't interest you. Mm-mm. Hmm. Mm. What if it was like starring Tig Notaro? Tig has nothing to say. No, because I don't believe it. Mm. I don't believe that you that you feel that way, and you I, you might feel that way for. A couple of months, but there's not, you're suddenly not going to have nothing to say. You've already said so much. Okay. Well, Annie. You're not doing that. You're not wasting your time with that idea, and you're not following up on it, so don't bullshit me. Okay, gosh. Well, Annie, Sandra is a true artist, so listen to her advice, okay? I mean, but don't, don't shut yourself down. Finish your studies and see where you go with it. I mean... I'm not saying don't do it, but if she's going to just like spend all of her time naysaying herself, it's just, you can't have people around you constantly shoring you up. It just doesn't work like that. Oh God, no. Okay. Well, Sandra, sit tight. More questions after a quick word from our sponsors. back. Yeah. Sandra, this question is from a listener named Missy. Mm-hmm. Missy writes, I am the mother of three-year-old twins and life is pretty wild. Mm. My wife and I both work full-time and spend all other energy on our son and daughter. One of my best friends is childless by choice. She constantly refers to her dogs like they are her children. Mm-hmm. It really bothers me. Mm. I have a dog and have no Mm -hmm. problem with the fact that she chose not to have children. However, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like she really understands what it is like to be a parent. And I don't think you can compare that relationship to dog ownership. Do I tell her how I feel? I obviously can't stop talking about my kids because they are my whole world. I just really don't need a play-by-play of her dog's lives and how tough it is to care for them. (laughs) Do you have dogs? I have one, George, and he is our life. I mean, my daughter is going to be 25, so she just got a cat named Pepper, a kitten. Oh. Uh, And she's brilliant. My daughter's brilliant, and I love her, and she's fabulous. But I have to say, Sarah, my partner, my girlfriend, and I, we indulge our dog and talk about our dog constantly. So I have no problem with anybody talking about their dogs like they're their children. So I don't, I disagree. Matter of fact, Sarah and I always would go out of our way not to talk too much about Sicily, our daughter, because it's just gross. It's like there's a zillion children on the planet, you know, and that's your choice to have them. It was my choice to have her. Mm-hmm. And I love her. We struggled through adolescence. We went through college. She's an adult. She's making shit happen. That's awesome. A dog, a dog is just like, they're just fabulous 24 seven. I mean, 
George, he'll probably walk in here any minute. I have a snack sitting here because he demands snacks. He's a little bit older now, but he's on the move. And he's a snack whore. And I'm like, you got to stop it, George. This is insane. And he'll bark and one ear goes up and he, he, he smacks his paw on the ground and demands snacks. And I'm just totally engaged, entertained, in, enlightened, and just delighted by him. So I don't agree. I, don't, I think she should just like. Well, I feel like if it's annoying, obviously I don't know these people or their personalities, but I feel like if my good friend was talking all the time about their dog. You know, it it goes back to comedy. It's all in the delivery. I would tease them like, oh, my God, about this dog again. This isn't even a person. You know, whatever you want to say to acknowledge the situation. But we have three cats. If you think I ever stopped talking about Kitty City, which is what we call our house, then you've got another thing coming. I mean, I feel the same. It's like, yeah. It's hard. I'm sorry. It's hard. But we, I also talk about our kids too. And that's where well, we. Well, of course you do. And I talk about, we talk about Cicely all the time. And now that she's an adult and like pursuing her artistry, mm-hmm. and she's such a unique, interesting person. I can't even imagine what your daughter's personality is. Well, she's totally, well, no, she's not, she not totally different than me, but she's very different than me. She's more of an introvert. She did this for her cat. She made. Beautiful platforms that she covered with fabric and braced them on the wall. And now there's like five levels of platforms where the kitty can climb up and go all the way up to almost the ceiling. And she did that yesterday. Does she live with you or does she have her own place? No, no, she has, she lives in Brooklyn. I said, you should market those mm-hmm. cat forms. And so it just goes directly into the wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, we it's shouldn't like, tell so- people about it because what if they take her idea? And- they won't be able to take her idea. Why? Because we can refer back to this episode. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to get her. I'm going to try to connect her with somebody to like actually start manufacturing these. Oh, okay. So if anyone got any weird idea, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. <laughs> Missy, I hope this advice helps. I don't know. Take a breath and take a beat. Have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> that would be refreshing. Yeah. I think maybe tease your friend about the amount of times that she brings up this dog. Also, Keep in mind, you're asking a cat person about dogs. Now, Sandra, this next question is about the morality of flirting. Okay. Maya writes, I am currently questioning my sexuality and feel as if I might be attracted to women. I myself identify as female. Is it ethical to flirt and show interest in people I find attractive if I am not sure of my preferences and whether or not I would be ready to pursue a relationship with them? Absolutely. It is totally legitimate. If you're out and about or you're at a bar or you're at a party or out with friends and you find somebody, whoever it is, and you're single and you feel attracted to that person, there's nothing more fun than flirting. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, first of all, it's nice to be also upfront if it's heading in a particular direction. But flirting is so fun. And my wife, Stephanie, always accuses me of having a million boyfriends. There are guys that I truly am giddy around. <laughs> There's probably like three. Of, oh, and we talked about the fireman. Of course. I am sorry. I know I look like whatever I look like. Uh, guess what? You know what, you know, Tig, you know what you look like? 
You look like 70% of the married women in the Midwest. For sure. There's they a, all look like dykes. Yeah, me and my friend used to do this game of, is that a lesbian or a Midwesterner? Or both. <laughs> I love men. So do I. And I think, yes, there's nothing more fun than flirting. But I do feel like if it starts to get to a certain point, you might want to be light. Just light. Be light about it. And be like, hey, I've never ventured into this world, but I really enjoy you. So that's how I ended up married to Stephanie. <laughs> so we're married with two yeah. kids, three cats, and a production company. So there you are. That's <laughs> rocking. Yeah. So, Maya, good luck to you and whoever you choose to flirt with. Sandra, our last listener question comes to us from Pennsylvania. Liv writes, Hey, Tig, an esteemed guest. What are some helpful methods for forgetting awkward things you did or said during the day so they don't keep you up at night? I'm looking for answers that go beyond alcohol, just for my uh -huh. liver's sake. Thanks. Uh-huh. Well, first of all, you have to examine, is this sort of a pattern in your life? Are, are you the kind of person who puts your foot in it all the time? I mean, I, it's hard to know exactly what she's referring to. I mean, is this with a stranger? With the, is this with somebody she's involved with? I well, mean, how do you deal with awkward? I enjoy awkwardness when people are a little like, what is happening I got that from my mother. So how do you deal with it? I'm never, I'm not an awkward person. No. People may be awkward around me and I'm very good at letting them off the hook. Mm -hmm. You know, people come up to me as they come up to every performer and tell their stories or express their emotions or their excitement and gratitude of how you've influenced them or affected them. And sometimes it is, it's awkward mm -hmm. and you just focus and you look at them and you're quiet and you let them talk and you go, yeah, I totally, I totally get it. Mm -hmm. And you let them off the hook. So for me, it's always more about letting people off the hook. I can walk into almost any situation and take control of it and make it okay for people. I believe that. Yeah. When you say that, you're like, I'm not an awkward person. It's like, oh, right. Yeah. You're not, <laughs> you're not at all. <laughs> no. I feel like an odd mix of I'm very comfortable with myself. But I also am somehow awkward or find myself in very awkward situations and I embrace it. But I feel comfortable. Like, I like myself. I feel confident. I feel like I deserve to be places. Well, of course you do. Well, no, not of course. I mean, it's a swirling mix of all of those things. Okay. But I do have those moments, I have to say, where I'm walking down the street and I'll have a memory of something even as comfortable as I am with myself and comfortable as I am with being awkward or in awkward situations. There will be moments that really pushed it a little too far for me. I won't even be thinking about what I had done, but it'll zip through my head. I'm like, oh, gosh, why did I do that? And that's <laughs> what I can only imagine Liv is experiencing a lot of. Okay. And so you're saying you don't ever have those moments where you're like, oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. Or no. where does that come from? That's awesome. I don't know where it comes from. I mean, where does anything come from? That's it's your nature. Mm -hmm. It's the way you were raised. It's how you take on people's emotions, how you take on your own emotions. I, th I mean, I think a lot of it has also been informed by being in this business all these years, mm -hmm. starting so young, having had so many 
misogynistic encounters that I just automatically put up this like badass shield. Yeah. And it's worked for me, but I'm also incredibly compassionate and patient and loving mm-hmm. and vulnerable. Yeah. I just I choose the time and place for those emotions. But walking through life, I'm super aware of my surroundings. Mm-hmm. I am on my game. If I feel any sort of danger, I am all over the shit. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, Liv, I would say uh, This is what I, I would say. I, this is what I would say. Yeah. Live and be well. Live, live and be well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got your back. Whatever you end up doing, live. Sandra, this next and final segment is what we call Come Back to Me Later. Come back to me. They'll leave Come back to me. Come back to me later. <laughs> That's funny. Everyone wishes they had the perfect response at the ready for certain social interactions. Mm -hmm. Come back to me later is the part of the show where we make that wish come true. Okay. This request comes to us from a listener named Amanda. Amanda writes, Tig, I don't shave my legs, but once in a blue moon. I'm more comfortable this way, and my husband doesn't complain. Yet everyone else in my life needs to comment on how gross my legs are. Whenever given the opportunity, they make a comment about it. Tig, I explain that my legs are clean. I scrub them in the shower every day. I'd like to have some wittier comebacks. Thanks. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Do you shave your legs? Absolutely. Do you think it's gross when people don't? No, I don't think it's gross. I just, it's like, mm-hmm. I like a smooth leg because I use lotion. Mm-hmm. I like smooth skin and I want to massage it into my leg. Mm-hmm. It's exfoliating to shave. And it's good for your skin. I love having shaved legs, but it doesn't bother me when people have hair on their legs or... I mean, if it was a woman, I don't want to be in bed with a woman with hairy legs. That doesn't, that's not a turn on to me. Well... I know that's sexist. I know that's whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And like strangely hypocritical because I would like a man with hairy legs. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's it's the norms. It's what we've grown up with, you know? You're used to it. I don't know. It just makes sense to me. I don't know. But I don't have any advice for her about her legs or hair or whatever. It's just like... If she's comfortable with it, who's questioning about her hair? Who's accusing her of being dirty because she has hairy legs anyway? Well, I mean, what if she even just said something that confident when if somebody said, oh, something about her legs and she just says, I'm comfortable with it. Just tell tell her to say, I'm letting my hair and my legs grow long enough to braid them. (laughs) And then I'm going to cut it off and give it to somebody who has no hair on their legs at all. There you go. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You said you had nothing to say. Amanda, that was perfectly whipped up for you. Wait a minute. I have another question for Amanda. Does she trim her pubic hair? Mm. I know we can't talk to her. Yeah, but that's this segment is called Come Back to Me Later. So come back to us later about- Amanda, do you trim your pubic hair? And does your husband like to have oral sex with you? Because that's a difficult situation. I'm sorry. It's not fresh. I'm not suggesting you have a bikini wax or anything, but I mean, a trimmed bush is a nice, is a nice thing to do for, for somebody. Okay. <laughs> I guess we'll just end there. I mean, no, we have to end there. There's no, I, I don't want, Okay. I, I don't want any further discussion after your last statement, Sandra. I want to end the episode right there. 
It was an absolute pleasure to have you. And I am truly such a fan of you as a person and performer. I'm just thankful that you took time to hang out with me. Oh, are you kidding? Everybody loves your podcast. Well, and I was so happy that you finally asked me to come on. I was like, when is Tignataro going to ask me to come on her podcast? I don't see any invitations forthcoming. Then suddenly, here I am. Suddenly, here you are. Well, you've been somebody that we've been making our way towards. I'm and just teasing you. I'm thrilled to be here now. And it's the perfect timing for it. Is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners about what's going on with you or upcoming? Yes, or- I will be at the Parkway Theater in Minneapolis on August 12th. And then I will be in Los Angeles at the Wallace Annenberg Theater on October 19th. Those are my next two for sure dates. Of course, I do my weekly radio show, Sandy Land, on Sirius XM Thursdays, 1 p.m. EST. Which I was lucky enough to be a guest on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hello. Thank you again for being on the show. Absolutely. Hi, sweetie. Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson, Derek Ramirez, Josh Savageo, and Evan Clark. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together... (laughs) 
We were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 